Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. This is the fourth episode in a row, and we had a fantastic show with Matt O'Dell. Uh, per usual, he got on and he was just itching to tussle with David. Uh, so it really turned into a fight night. But I think the two main themes that we covered here were memes is that that's what we started with and then we kind of moved on to um you know really adversarial thinking and uh maybe what's the difference between adversarial thinking between bitcoin and ethereum um from a community perspective uh david what was your thoughts yeah i really enjoyed uh debating with matt that was that was really fun we covered a ton of stuff and while we didn't directly talk about it during the podcast, I really think this uh, argument or, or fight night that we just had uh, really does a good job of illustrating how uh, Bitcoiners and Ethereans think differently. You can definitely tell the difference between how uh, me, an Ethereum, and Matt, a Bitcoiner, uh, evaluates blockchains differently. Like He's very clearly highly security focused from like a nation state perspective and uh, me and I would say other Ethereans are, are as well just are, are very much not worried about um, the, the nation state level attacks, at least uh, in this time frame. So a, a lot of these things are kind of unearthed uh, and it's, it's pretty palpable in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, this was a super fun show. And I always like the show where I bring on quality Bitcoiners and I, have to, I don't have to do much talking. Uh, so I don't want to, uh, to hold back too much. Just want to remind everyone, five-star reviews, rate and share the show, interact with us on Twitter. We are almost up to 69 reviews. So who's going to be review number 69? Uh, let us know. Maybe it's Amin if he hasn't done it yet. Um, so yeah, without further ado, I bring you Matt Odell. Everyone, I'm super excited to bring you one of my favorite guys in the crypto community. Uh, everyone, it's Matt Odell from Tales from the Crypt, from at Matt Odell on Twitter. The legend, the man, the myth, he's here. Matt, how you doing? How's it going, guys? Really happy to be here. Matt, why don't you tell our audience who may not know who you are, because they're living under a rock, who you are, what you do in this space, uh, all that good stuff. I'm just, uh, you know, I like to say I'm just a Bitcoiner. Uh, I've been in the space for since 2013 uh, and I've just seen a lot of shit go down. So while, while I've tried to learn about stuff, I've, I've found a role in helping other people learn at the same time. Um, first, that was I had my own site. It was like a blog or whatever. Uh, and then I moved to Twitter because the short form is is absolutely fantastic. And I love the discussion there. Um, and now I do a podcast with Marty Bent, which we uh, do weekly, um, just on all things Bitcoin. How rewarding has that podcast been? It's been a lot of fun, man. I, mm -hmm. Isn't it great? It's such a good platform podcast. It really is. I just think Bitcoiners are awesome. And, and uh, I fell down the rabbit hole really hard. I mean, part of the reason was because I, I was down so much money in 2013. Um, after the double pumps, I experienced, you know, both of those pumps in a row. Um, and after the second pump, I just completely, um, I was completely overexposed. I was young, I was an idiot. Uh, and I was down so much money. I was like, I need to know what I'm investing in. Otherwise my dad's going to fucking kill me. <laughs> and ever since then, I've spent like five hours a day on this shit. Was that the impetus for the podcast? No, I mean, the podcast was Marty just seduced me. I didn't want to do podcasts. I didn't think. I, I kind of like the control that 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 written that, uh, you know, like Twitter and blog posts give you and that you can like look it over and make sure you said mm -hmm. everything right and all that stuff. And and I didn't like the OPSEC loss of podcasts, but uh, it was it was just too too fun of a format to uh, to not jump in. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. And honestly, like it's hard, but it's also really easy. Uh, which is cool. Like you just got to keep doing it and you get better and better and it just gets easier and easier. Uh, there's a lot of like positive uh, feedback with, with podcasting. Um, and honestly, like podcast, Twitter, blogging, all that kind of stuff. Like this is like the future of how information is going to be dispersed. Uh, and it's really, it's really beautiful in my mind. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the ideal situation would be if, I mean, at the time when I started RHR, like if if someone had had an equivalent podcast that I could just listen to instead of doing, that would have been that would have been the ideal. But no one was doing it, so here we go. Podcasts and audiobooks have been like the exclusive way where I absorb information. I don't and like, and then like the ten minute medium articles on top of that. But it was really just those those three things. And Twitter, short and sweet, and right in my ears. And Twitter, yeah. right? Well, you don't have to convince me to get on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I was saying I got to slow down on Twitter, and David's like, "Man, I'm trying to do some more of this." <laughs> I'm. I got pulled in real hard. So Matt, something that I wanted to talk to you about was creating memes in this space. And I think that this is a good time to segue just because we're talking about these mediums. Um, you, nice. uh, you helped birth Stacking Sats, a prolific meme. Uh, David also has created uh, some awesome memes himself. I'm trying. Um, but memes are incredibly important in this space, in internet culture, um, in my mind, in, in the future of mankind. And maybe they always have been. Uh, Let's let's talk about memes a little bit. You know, I feel like I watched in 2016, and uh, I guess ETH launched 2015, right? What was the ICO? Mm-hmm. 2015. And so I watched. Like, I'm not sure when the ICO was, but it launched in 2015. Yeah. yeah. So like I watched between like 2015 and 20, like late 2017, 2018. Like ETH had really good memes. You know, they like completely dominated Bitcoin in in, in meme warfare. And uh, I was like, that needs to change. Like we need, we need better memes. We had a couple good ones, you know, we had digital gold, we had sound money, but uh, we needed better memes. And I was just on Twitter, you know how Twitter is. I just kept experimenting with all different things. Um, and one of the things I really latched onto was in the 2017 run, I mean, unit bias was so fucking obvious. Um, you know, you had Ripple, even ETH, you know, they added, there was the supply is way higher, right? So people feel like it's cheaper. It's just like a natural feeling. So I was like, we need to let, let's combat them, you know, fire to fire with, with, uh, unit bias. Let's go to the lowest unit we have. Um, and then the other thing, which I was like screaming from the rooftops in 2017 was, you know, dollar cost averaging. Like dollar cost averaging is like the most responsible way to to invest in any of these assets if if you think they have value because they're so volatile. So no one knows where it goes short term. But in 2017, I would do threads and threads and threads of responsible dollar cost averaging. And there was no engagement. No one could give a fuck. No, no one wanted to hear it at all. And then all of a sudden, I started putting, I started going with stacking sats and everyone was like, this is the coolest thing ever. I want to stack sats. I remember when, when stacking sats came out and I think it was like, you guys had, you had a URL and like someone did like a, uh, a launching kind of like a, a scene where some like Bitcoin astronaut was launching. Um, and like after that, it just complete fire. It just became ubiquitous. It was pretty, pretty insane. Um, how thirsty people were for that meme. Like they're waiting for it. Well, it was nice too because it hit in the bottom of the it hit in the bottom of the bear market. Like my first tweet about it was in October of 2018. So, uh, yeah, so just good timing. It was like only only like the loyal few were still around and looking and paying attention. And yeah, I mean, it was all the community, right? Like everyone took it and ran with it. Stacking sats is like a really beautiful meme, though, because there's because there's so much packed in there. First off, it's an alliteration, so that's cool. Uh, second off, it, it, it implies dollar cost averaging, which is like the responsible investment behavior that you were trying to, to create with your threads and threads and threads. Uh, and then, it, but it's also a, a, a reference to Bitcoin's hard cap, right? Because like it, every stat that you, every sat that you get is a sat that you don't have to, to lose. Uh, so you're, you're, re- and there's probably a few more we could probably talk about, but there's just so much packed in there into that one little, uh, one little meme. So hats off. Yeah, the other the other big one is uh, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like no one wants to buy a fraction of Bitcoin. That meme wasn't going to work. Right. So like stacking sats is like you could buy a fraction, but you're not buying right. a fraction. You're buying all sats. of a sudden one dollar is like what's one dollar? Like eight thousand sats right now or something? Uh, yeah, it's uh, eighty five hundred sats right now. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a big number. That's a really big number. Eighty five sats for a penny. That's awesome. There you go. 
So one of the things you said was uh, uh, Ethereum had uh, like really won the, the great meme war of 2016, 2017, which kind of, uh, Christian, if you want to segue us into the adversarial thinking, if you're ready to, to move over to that, that's kind of where, where my mind uh, kind of went with that. Uh, are, do you, what's your opinion on the zero sum nature of cryptocurrency? I mean, I think it's, I think it's pretty zero sum, uh, long tail. Um, but I, I also, I don't think like they'll just be one. Uh, mm -hmm. I just think a single, like the dominant one will absorb most of the liquidity, most of the usage, but there'll always be like a long tail of tons and tons of, of altcoins and, and tokens and whatnot. So, so any successful meme from one blockchain community comes at the cost of successful memes from another. Yeah. It's memetic warfare. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. Talk a little bit about uh, how you view the, the power of memes in this space. I mean, I think the power of memes in general are super powerful, right? They're easy to share. They're easy to understand and grok and get behind. I mean, look at like we have Trump, like he's a meme president. Like it's not he just is. it's not just crypto. It's just humans in general, especially now in today's society. Memes are super powerful. Just look at stacking stats compared to the the threads on threads about dollar cost averaging. And it has so much more packed into it. Like it's so effective. That's why it pisses me off when Ethereans are like, Bitcoin is a meme coin. I would just buy Doge. I'm like, you guys are fucking retards. Like if you actually believe that, then you are a fucking retard. <laughs> Well, I, th I think you could go and, and parse that apart and, and actually get with at what they're saying and instead of calling them a retard. But, uh, you know, I understand that Bitcoin is not just a meme coin, but the value of Bitcoin is some function of its memeiness. But I think I would say that's the case for all of them. Yes. Yes. I think what they're saying is that Bitcoin is 100% meme rather than like. But it, but it isn't. But even if it was, what's like that, that doesn't mean anything like as if that's bad. Like if it works, it works. Well, because eventually the memes expire. Well, stacking sats is never going to expire. It's always going to be good advice. So the, the whole meme story or the, the concept of a meme always makes me think of uh, Yuval Noah Harari's uh, thoughts on how humans are these story creatures and how what we pay attention because like money is a story right like we have this story for how money came to be be it like shells or paper fiat it's just this story that we all tell each other and whether it's true or not doesn't actually matter because it's the story that's important uh, and so i think that's what that's really what memes are doing is there it's like the ultimate short story and this is kind of where I got really, really into meme culture on Reddit is because the best memes are all about how do you tell the shortest story in the fewest number of panels. And so that's, that's kind of why memes are so powerful. A good meme creator is, a, is like a super intricate story weaver. And they just do it in this bluntly, stupidly simple like four or one panel. That you that you can get proliferated on the internet and that's kind of what our culture has turned into is like how fast can you convey a message in in a short amount of time and that's how you that's how you go viral right and i think that's where bitcoin strength has definitely uh took its stride in the last like two years because bitcoin is is the simple blockchain that's like what it does and it's all its value proposition is super simple and uh, you know, stacking sats is super simple, and 21 million hard cap is super simple, and an orange coin price go up is also super fucking simple. Um, but that's also where you get the criticism, right? Because at some point, at some point, you do have to weave a weave a, a more intricate story because humans do like complexity. But I'll let you guys take over from there. No, but I mean, I I think you know that's what Ethereum tried to do in the beginning too, right? Like your unstoppable world computer. Like where the fuck mm -hmm. is that? Where did, you know, where did that go? That was a very simple meme that, mm -hmm. that said a lot. And, and, and that's why people were, were investing, right? Like they were investing, mm -hmm. expecting, expecting unstoppable applications. It was like a very concise way of explaining the goal of, of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. I mean, we definitely have that, that, that is definitely being achieved. I would say I wouldn't say that go that went away. That's that's something that we have today. I mean, I I would I would contend that it's kind of stoppable, right? 
Like, why did Vale go out of business? Vale, the the layer on top of Augur? I actually haven't been paying attention to Vale. Yeah. Yeah, today they announced they went out of business, or they're pulling out from the market. Right, so development stopped. They haven't given a post. The, 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 any application that they wrote on, on the blockchain, like, for example, if Compound, if the Compound team said we're out, the Compound smart contract will still run. Right. Yeah. So, so there, there, and there's different ways to generate code. So, like, there's code that is totally stoppable, because like that's what that's just what uh, Turing complete expressive code gives you. You can do whatever you want. You can have stoppable code or unstoppable code. But stoppable code is what we've got today. So we're not going to advertise. Hey, Ethereum blockchain stoppable code. Like we're not going to advertise that. That's not a meme. We're going to advertise the unstoppable part. And those things are inherently harder to make. But we do have like six really good applications that are unstoppable and that number is growing. What six? Uh, DYDX, MakerDAO, Compound, Uniswap, uh, Augur. How many was that? Was that five? How does how does how does MakerDAO know the price of of ETH at any given time? Uh, somewhere between twelve and sixteen price feeds. Yeah, who are those price feeds? I don't know. So this is this is one of the <laughs> okay. So look, that is the the weakness of MakerDAO. But the problem is inherently solvable, right? And so, and so the 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 foundation employs the the price oracle team to to go through all of the the theoretical ways to decentralize price oracles. And and ever since the genesis, like it used to be one oracle, right? It used to just be one, and now we're up to twelve to sixteen. Uh, and then you also have platforms like Chainlink, which is like the staking service that that can provide price feeds with with uh, game theoretic conversions on the truth. Uh, and so like all, all of these things, like it, it just has to it has to overcome the, the escape velocity of being uh, a, a self-replicating application when it comes to data coming to it in order to operate. And whether or not we're we're past that escape velocity point is up for debate. But whether or not you can build it, I think, is not up for debate. I think it's definitely buildable and in process. So I think that we both agree that the value prop for these mm -hmm. networks is censorship resistance, yes. uh, decentralization, yes. permissionlessness. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, permit. Yeah, lack kind of no permission needed. Um, so what the the question the question really is is how 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 much is enough? Mm -hmm. You know, what what is enough decentralization? What's enough censorship resistance? And I think where Ethereum stakeholders and Bitcoin stakeholders are separated is is what is enough. And I my personal belief is that I don't think that Ethereum stakeholders have prioritized it enough. Mm. You know, I think I see node costs going through the roof. I see tons of different centralization factors. And, and that concerns me because I think that at some point here, like the US government in particular, but also governments around the world will try and, and you know, stop these things. I think, I think that they, there's a reason why like betting on US elections is illegal. So if you're gonna offer a platform for betting on US elections to Americans, um, like that platform needs to be, you know, you can't run, you shouldn't be running that platform on an Amazon web service. Like that's gonna be an issue in the future. So I think it's, you describe the difference between Bitcoiners and Ethereum, Ethereans as, as people that uh, are like, are on a spectrum of decentralized permissionlessness and Bitcoiners are maximizing it and Ethereans are not as maximal in that. And I actually disagree. I think that it's the time, that it's more of a timing thing because Ethereum, the, the Ethereum blockchain is the, the, the core principles are the same as Bitcoin. The core principles are we're going to create this blockchain that is unstoppable, censorship resistant, permissionless, but we have to fucking figure out how to do it first. And like, we are still in that we have to fucking figure out how to do it first because we have sharding and pro proof of stake on our roadmap, as well as all of these EIPs that we want to get through. And so there are a ton of really awesome EIPs, like EIP 1559 is really cool. The state rent EIP is really cool. Like all these things are really important things to research and implement. 
And if we, if, if the Ethereum community maximize for uh, decentralization in uh, development and permissionlessness in development, we would calcify in the way that the Bitcoin blockchain did really, really early. And then we wouldn't be able to do any of the things that we want to do. And so the, the, the way I see Ethereum development happening is, is like we have all these hard forks, we introduce all these EIPs, the software updates, uh, and as over time, we get closer and closer to what the original vision of Ethereum was, is, which is a scaled proof of stake uh, smart contracting platform. And then once we get closer and closer to the end vision, we'll slow down the rate of hard forks to just be of necessity and like one day maybe that's zero hard forks and then hopefully we are at a state where we are of comparable decentralization and permissionlessness to bitcoin do you run an ethereum node uh not at the moment i turned it off but i, I did i did like a week ago christian do you run a bitcoin node yeah, it's, exactly. He of course. Said, it's su it's super easy. It's literally download, plug and play. Like the whole the whole Ethereum node infrastructure is difficult and impossible. It's just total FUD. Like I could go and, and set one up by the end of this call and it would be in, in the process of working through the blocks. It's not hard. If can you can't run a you can't run an Ethereum node through Tor though. I don't know. I don't know. You definitely can't. Okay. It require the, the latency would be too high. I, I'll take so, your word for that one. So what happens? So what happens if your government if your government bans Ethereum, says you can't run a node, unless unless you register or something, unless you register like KYC or something like that? What happens then? How does Ethereum respond to that? It's dead in the water at that point. I'm just not worried about that kind of attack right now. <laughs> I just don't think that's happening. The U.S. government is that's not what the U.S. government is about. They are they are not authoritarian. They are free market, free people. Yeah, that's not what the U.S. government does. I think if you're building a global permissionless financial network. You should expect governments to combat that like that. That's not something that they're going to support. So. That is, I mean, I, I think if we live in a world where America never decides, you know, the major governments never decide to go after these things, then, you know, we could just use, we could use Libra, or we could use EOS, we could use all the super centralized chains. Where's the balance in the middle, that, that gray area in the middle that, that Ethereum's sitting in seems like, I don't know. Precarious. Yeah. But, but. The people in charge are first off boomers, right? And so they're old and they're definitely not crypto people. So like we all believe that this revolution is underway. But if if you go to up to like Senator Warren and be like, hey, you know, Bitcoin is going to take over the world and, and the US dollar is going to collapse as a result. She's going to be like, oh, that's cute. I'm going to go back to doing my job. Like they're, they're not going to believe you. And I believe you. I'm with you. But like you, we have this buffer of crypto's really fucking complicated, and no one believes us because we all look like crazy people, which is like our crypto's biggest defense mechanism. No, I mean I agree. I but I I don't know if you should just sit on those laurels for that long. Like I think they're figuring it out. I mean we saw Brad Sherman. He basically straight up said like the, he sounded like a diehard Bitcoiner the way he said that Bitcoin was gonna uh, mm -hmm. completely. Uh, erode their position in, in, you know, the America's position in the financial world. Um, and I, we see the, the pushback on Libra right now because it's like right in their face and they know how to stop it. Um, you know, this isn't just my complaint against Ethereum, you know, it's also my complaint against Zcash. Like, I don't think you could create like a, a private currency in America yeah, with rich American investors. Like, I think the investors themselves um, and the organizational structure becomes like a major uh, vulnerability, right? There's people that you can clearly pressure. Um, if so, a lot of another issue we have is that when we talk about Ethereum versus Bitcoin or Ethereum versus anything else, there's a lot of theoreticals like in the future, right? You know, we're going to move to proof of stake. Mm -hmm. We're going to have sharding. Everything's going to be like magic rainbows, and there's no trade-offs. Um, yeah, of course, it's got to be unicorns if it's Ethereum. Um, that was a good meme too, you know, but anyway, uh, I, I do not think that proof of stake is a good option. I think, I think you, I think 
the real innovation here is distributed proof of work, not blockchain. I think that was the amazing thing we have, distributed worldwide consensus without permission. And I think that proof of stake will have a centralizing effect that will further centralize any chains that, that either switch to POS or start, start with POS. Um, so, so I see long tail issues in that regard too, that I feel like aren't really being factored in. And by pushing forward with the plans to move to proof of stake, you're seeing mining investment on Ethereum, you know, go down. Like, why would I? Why would anyone invest in Ethereum miners when, first of all, uh, proof of work algo changes have been tossed around, uh, willing to cut rewards at like a moment's notice without without the miners having any idea that's coming. And then ultimately saying fuck you to them and going to prove a stake. So I, I don't think that's not only do I not think proof of stake is um, a better system, but I think the transition to proof of stake is being uh, it, it's it's being discounted how difficult that transition will be, even if even in like a best case scenario, because you'll have the miners are gonna are gonna, the existing miners will fight back from it too. Yeah. Um... Those are all good points. I don't. I mean, we could we we could go into them, uh, but like so the 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 centralization of capital is is something. Whether or not it's something that kills the whole system, I I, I would have to be convinced of that. But I I do. We had a we had a, a decred episode that we just recorded yesterday, and and decred has this hybrid mechanism, and the hybrid mechanism I th I think is a better solution than pure proof of stake, um, but. Uh, it's it's all and the hybrid mechanism is also better than pure proof of work uh i, I would i would say it's it really actually captures the best of both worlds in that in that case so i would like to see a way where uh stakers do have to give up some of their capital in the same way that miners do um but it's not really i don't see it as something that's going to decimate the the long-term chain security um and then the other thing you brought up was uh the transition from proof of work to proof of stake uh and there's always there's always that massive incentive to fork off and mine your own blockchain and like have just maybe five percent of the original value of the of the chain but if you're mining like 100 percent of this new chain and that new chain goes from like one dollar to three dollars well you just tripled your investment so like it's actually relatively low risk to mine on a mine uh, to to continue that minority chain so there's that and then and then also there's also the issue of well what the hell are all these gpu farms going to mine when ethereum goes to proof of stake like there's not much market cap left after like monero and monero is producing like less than like seven percent of of ethereum's block rewards so like what the hell are all these gpu miners going to do so there's the there's certainly the incentive um the issue the issue the and this was brought up with our episode with christy lay minahan who's like probably the lead expert of chip on chip design and is an Ethereum GPU miner. Uh, and um, she said that that was, I think this is what she said, was that was kind of the cool thing about um, DeFi, which incentivizes holding onto your ETH as collateral because the miners are allowed to transition into stakers when Ethereum 2.0 comes. And so they, you, you are still given the opportunity to participate in blockchain validation because you can use all that Ether that you mine to then stake. And going over to proof of stake has always been a core a core goal of ethereum and so like a mi some miner can't be like you know i'm pissed off because like i want it to be to be proof of work like no like the ethereum white paper has proof of stake in it and so it's, it's been part of the social contract of ethereum since day one um none of these strategies are going to guarantee a smooth transition it's going to be messy probably uh it's going to be interesting um but the the significant majority of the Ethereum community is is proof of stake, and so it's not it's not like well you could you could probably give insight to this one, but it's not like the chain split between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash where we didn't actually really know what the outcome was going to be. You know, Bitcoin Cash was going up to to like sixty percent of a Bitcoin really really quickly. It looks it. On that, on that one, one day, day well it was trending there right and and we could have lived in a universe where it actually flipped it and then we would actually be in the world where bitcoin cash is bitcoin but we're not in that universe um nah, that probably never gonna happen. happen 
but the, the point is is like like every single ethereum community member is basically a let's do sharding let's do proof of stake we're all aligned with this and so that that community fork i just don't see happening except the miners like just like you said the miners the miners have nothing to lose they might as well they can even transition into staking on eth 2.0 or whatever and mm -hmm. still continue the existing chain. They might as well, like those, the difficulty bombs there. So they fork out the difficulty bomb, which is like the easiest thing to fork out. Mm -hmm. If you're a bunch of miners that, that want to continue mining and then they just keep mining and see what happens. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's just that it'll be, it'll be messy. And I could see why uh, like people wouldn't want to invest in that beforehand. Um, Obviously, like with all these things, if you invest in it beforehand and it works out, then, you know, higher risk, higher reward. Um, but I, I think that simplicity that we have with Bitcoin, that we know what the future holds, we know what all the variables are going to be in five years for the most part, at least like the important ones, like make it way more suitable as, as a, like a global store of value um, because you don't have all those uncertainties. And then... As for hybrid, that yeah, that makes sense to me that that hybrid would be better for Ethereum, especially as a way to uh, kind of bribe the miners to stay on board. Um, and you still have that advantage of permissionlessness where you're, you're able to just plug in a miner and start getting KYC free tokens, which I think is a really important aspect of all of this. Um, but at the same time, like you said, a lot a lot of Ethereum stakeholders are pro POS from the very beginning. And I think they're going to look at chains like Tezos and these other proof of stake chains, and they're going to be like, we need to go pure. We can't be, we can't be hybrid because then we're a step below them. You know, we're killing the environment. All the FUD you guys have been serving us over POW for all this time will come back and you'll have to do uh, pure. But I mean, like, that's one of the issues is that we don't know, right? Like we're just sitting here just speculating on what will happen. So I think one of the early uh, realizations between me and Christian, yeah, Christian, you're coming next. I'm going to lead right into you, um, <laughs> is like I was super confused with how when, when Christian and I started talking to crypto to each other, it's like how much we just did not agree on anything. And, and I realized it came down to risk tolerance. And so Christian is much more into like what you said, being able to plan on knowing exactly how much of the Bitcoin network he's going to own in the future based on how much he owns now. And he knows exactly the monetary policy, you know, like all the things that are stable about Bitcoin. Whereas I'm much more interested in a blockchain that, that updates its software, uh, you know, does research, tests things, does a live environment, like goes back and iterates and, and is a blockchain that feels a, li a, a lot more like a tech startup, right? Like a super distributed developed tech startup that and that that just sounds interesting to me like it sounds like a really interesting story to follow likewise i'm pretty sure i have much more of my uh uh capital invested into crypto than, than christian does just because i'm just much more risk tolerant than, than christian is and so it's kind of our personalities that pushed us into different camps would you say that's right christian uh, I was also a lot more libertarian in college, whereas you were uh, a lot more socialist. So uh, I was talking to someone earlier at lunch today who is in the crypto space. And mm -hmm. when I mentioned the show, he was like, is he a communist? And I was like, maybe he used to be at least. Um, so uh, I, I definitely think that there is a there there is a relation, a correlation there. For the record, I'm definitely a centrist now, which is also coincidentally exactly what the Ethereum blockchain tries to be. Fun fact. If I could respond to any of the stuff that David talked about, it's just the whole move to proof of stake is like a lot of trouble for something that's not even a problem. Like the hybrid proof of work proof of stake is for Decred is fear of miners. Uh, this ETH thing is miners are evil. Miners aren't incentivized to take care of the chain. Like, I just don't agree with that narrative. And I don't agree with that actually being an issue in Bitcoin. Um, I'm, I think a lot of people will disagree. I know Matt will have some opinions on that, but um, I just don't think it's an issue. And I think that that's why Bitcoin is, as a safe asset, is also the most primed to win here. I mean, I think that in the beginning, you know, when you when you start off on a on a proof of work network, it's it's very vulnerable, right? You're using general purpose hardware. Um, then you move to ASICs, which is like a slight improvement. But then, in the beginning of ASICs, it's always dominated by a few small manufacturers. So I think 
the key to POW is you need to get past that threshold, which Bitcoin got past, right? We had, I mean, we were, David was talking about um, Coinbase's Ninja launch, right? At that point, Bitmain controlled maybe indir indirectly controlled 50 to 60% of the hash rate probably. So if they really wanted to go balls to the wall there and just switch all their hash rate to Bitcoin Cash, they didn't even have to attack Bitcoin, just switch it all to the other network and just go for it, then maybe they would have had some kind of shot. Um, they didn't partially because of the game theory that backs all this shit is they were afraid to kill the golden goose. But um, I think we've passed that threshold with Bitcoin. I think that we're going to watch as, as Bitcoin, both, both the actual miners operating and the manufacturers of the hardware starts to distribute more and more. Um, I mean, like, look, we saw what happened to Bitmain. Uh, I think that it should be every network's priority to get to that point. And I don't think anyone else is there except for Bitcoin. And I think that when you start fucking with minor expectations, like you're guaranteeing that, that your chain will never have that. Like if, 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 if you don't treat miners as business people, because that's exactly what they are, they're trying to figure out, is this investment worth it for me? Can I, should I put up all this capital? Should I do all this research and development? And then meanwhile, like your leaders are, are throwing around ideas for proof of work algo changes. Like they're never gonna invest in securing your network. And it creates this, this knock-on effect where you're just, you're dooming, you're dooming your chain to failure long-term. See if I can 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 weave this in one coherent thought, uh, Christian. You you started this off saying by like uh, the transition to proof of stake is is to solve something that's not a problem, uh, but even before uh, Ethereum goes to proof of stake, it's already kind of uh, put its values into its mining algorithm, the the ETH hash mining algorithm, which makes it you know super memory intensive, meaning that you need to have a GPU uh, mining rig. And there's a mining rig right over there outside this door that I have in my apartment. And I used to have four in my dad's bathroom because I could. And I could have never done that with an ASIC because those things are loud as fuck and they would have popped the circuit breakers. And so when we talk about maximal decentralization, we're talking about certain design parameters that enable people to be home staking or home, or home validating. And so, like, even before proof of stake, we do have this home validating blockchain that that you can participate with consumer hardware, and then and then this these core values get carried over into the proof of stake world, where the downloading a full node uh, application is getting easier and easier and easier, and then as soon as we're in proof of stake, you the you combo the the easier to download full node application with your 32 ether, and you have mass decentralization because anyone can can stake their their 32 ether or less if they're in a staking pool because a staking pool is just a mining pool but for a smaller number, and so the the problem that's being solved there is finding a way to be validate have a blockchain that's validated by people's laptops in their in their in their idle compute power but how do you get the eth to begin with if it's a proof of stake network you put your skin in the game by buying it where but where do you buy it from if it's banned in your country it's not though <laughs> but it could be in the future right like one of the one of the beauties of proof of work is that anyone can plug in hardware and they can basically convert their electricity into fresh non-KYC coins, right? Like that mm -hmm. is, um, I think it's a, it's a basic tenet of what makes this all permissionless. I mean, I also think that ASICs should be embraced rather than feared. I think they are the most efficient way to, to mine these chains. Um, and, and I think that with commoditization in the future that we can see home miners again, you know, we'll see we'll see buildings with boilers that have ASICs in their boilers and, and they're using the excess heat to heat all the apartments in the, in, in the, in the building. We'll see people that are heating their pools with Bitcoin miners, yada, yada, yada. I think that that the world that you just described is far more unlikely than a world where governments are banning cryptocurrency. Why wouldn't they ban it? Like, I feel like why, why does, why does PayPal block transactions? Does PayPal block transactions because PayPal just doesn't like you and doesn't want you to send those transactions? No, they block transactions because they're required to by law. 
like they're forced to do KYC on you and they're forced to block fraudulent, you know, like risky transactions, transactions that the government doesn't agree with. Whether or not a government bans a cryptocurrency is going to be a function of how difficult it is to ban a cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrencies are inherently extremely, maximally difficult to ban, especially the, the super decentralized ones. But is Ethereum? I don't think Ethereum is. That's I like I I that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like we agree on the value prop. I just we disagree on the assessment. Like I feel like if if I was the US government and I wanted to shut down Ethereum, I could do it so much easier than Bitcoin. Like magnitude. Yeah, but the incentive is just not there. They don't give a fuck about us, dude. We are a tiny little community. We are a speck of dust. I don't know about that. I think I, I see creeping KYC and I think that you'll basically either have like Ethereum will be like a KYC chain. Like, you know, they, they won't do like a full full ban, but like unauthorized users will not be welcome. I mean, and you see that, you see that with your, the so-called DEXs and stuff that have, you know, geo blocks on them and, and they pick what assets get listed and they, they're all this. That's what Uniswap is for. We've solved that problem. You know, I, I don't I don't know enough about Uniswap to uh, to comment. Uniswap is literally the no KYC add any asset dex. Who runs it? Is it based in America? Well, I mean, there is a guy named Hayden Adams who built it, but who runs it? The question of who runs it is the Ethereum blockchain runs it. Who decides what's listed on it? You can go to the website and go add your token. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it should be interesting. It should be interesting to see how all this plays out, but I, uh, I, I, I think I, I just think you guys are are being a little bit too, um, too cocky. That's all. So wait, let's let's go down the Uniswap hole. Like, what if someone adds an asset that happens to uh, upset the U.S. government? Like now you're saying, hey, we are unstoppable, but mm-hmm. in that case where you actually bring upon, um, you know, the eye of you know an attacker. You know, are you actually in position to defend yourself? Well, before I answer that question, I, I want you to tell me what exactly the is the asset that would do that. Uh, the Petro, um, maybe. Hmm. Okay. Sure. So, Any ERC twenty uh, that is published by a government that is sanctioned—that's not unreasonable. Yeah, that I I would thoroughly enjoy that. I would love to see that happen. I would love to see how that plays out. I I'm confident that Ethereum would come out on the other side unscathed, and a lot of more people would see the value proposition of unstoppable code. So, what's the difference between uh, Uniswap and like Radar Relay? Uh, Radar Relay uses Zero X, which is an order book based decentralized exchange, uh, and. Uh, I don't know as much uh, about Radar Relay as I do know about Uniswap because Uniswap is like super fucking simple uh, and Radar Relay is a little bit more complex. But I think Radar Relay is like a third party interface over an order book that's managed by 0x. And so the order book itself is decentralized because all of that data is on chain. Or, or provided by relayers, which is which is kind of like a lightning network kind of solution. Um, the this the centralized part of these things, and every single DAP has this um, weakness, right? Which is the centralized interface of interacting with it. So, like the the www.uniswap.exchange is can be shut down by like GoDaddy or something. Um, but that's why we're building IPFS and ENS domain name, so you can have a, a persistent um, domain which you can access. But but again, we, like we we're not there yet. So like every single DAP does have this centralized interface, which you could shut down. But it's one of the things that was put in the OG Ethereum white paper as a way to access unstoppable code, and it's one of the things that we're building on. And if we maximally decentralize development of Ethereum blockchain, we wouldn't be able to do those things because you can't have development and be maximally decentralized. Okay. Um, Matt, can you speak a little bit about uh, Bitcoin development? I feel like a lot of people in the Ethereum community are very confused about how core development actually No, no, it's just we have different values and we have different definitions for what development is. I, I just think that if you can if you can easily change anything, that itself is an mm-hmm. attack vector, right? Because you can change mm-hmm. it for the negative. Like that's the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the fact that Bitcoin is hard to change is like a major, major feature. It's definitely not a bug. It's the it's the opposite, and I feel like that's where we really um, diverge a lot. 
in, in that respect. And I, I think that this, this, the obviously, I mean, but the layered, the layered approach is very effective because we can have massive uh, development on additional layers without actually sacrificing what's important, which is that, that base protocol. So what you just said there, where Bitcoin being difficult to change, it's its biggest feature, not a bug. That, that just shows exactly uh, your, your values and how values define how we view these things in this space, right? And I totally agree with you. It's Bitcoin's biggest feature, but it also it comes at a loss of development because there is value in developing something and getting it right. But if you want that, you have to trade off your resistance to change because you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You have to pick one. And Bitcoin has picked being resistant to change and it's captured all of the value of, at the value landscape that you will find at a blockchain that's very difficult to change. But it's sacrificed all of the value at a different part of the value landscape for a blockchain that can update and develop and research because you only you can't have both of those things. And so there are different value peaks and Ethereum has found the value peak of let's let's experiment and figure out where the highest peak is and let's go there. And then Bitcoin can just have this peak that's probably pretty fucking big, uh, which is the resistant to change peak. But Ethereum doesn't even it's it's not even like it doesn't change quick enough though right like doesn't all the all the central more centralized chains are going to are going to mm -hmm. adapt quicker some of them already have proof of stake right. what's taking ethereum so long well there's a goldilocks zone right like i you i think if you were an ethereum you would say fuck man like i'm trying to get my eip through cuz i think we should change this thing but it's really fucking difficult and if you were on eos it might be a little bit easier so there's this, it, it ethereum is difficult to change it does it just depends on what perspective you you come from like if you come from the bitcoin perspective that's a joke but if you come from the the definity perspectives like EO, ethereum is very solidified and very slow to change Yeah, so I mean, I think that should be interesting to play out. I think mm -hmm. that you know, Ethereum, like Ethereum stakeholders, shouldn't be looking at Bitcoiners because you know, Bitcoin doesn't doesn't compete with Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin agree. is going for something completely different. It's mm -hmm. going, you know, to be the global reserve asset. Uh, you know, storing trillions of dollars of wealth, and it needs to be absolutely resistant to change. It needs to make sure that if you know a couple major governments go after it, it doesn't go down because it's holding so mm -hmm. much fucking money, and uh, if and I think that's the biggest target market. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, if, if we live in a world where none of these governments go after anything, then you might as well just use Libra or something like that. You might as well use EOS, you know, you might as well use, I don't know, any of those, any of those centralized chains. Well, and we're talking I think about that is going to have to grapple with that. What? Well, I think if we're stopping talking about stoppable code, you can't use Libra or EOS because that would break that. But Ethereum code isn't unstoppable. It is if you like, develop it, it that way. No, because the whole infrastructure, the whole, the whole, like, main layer is is stoppable it's, already. It's definitely like, not. <laughs> so the interesting thing here is that you kind of describe this these peaks, right? Mm -hmm. And you say that hey, Bitcoin is choosing to, or you know, Bitcoin development is slow and 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 resistant to change, mm -hmm. and you know, it gets these things. And Ethereum's development is fast and all these things but you don't comparison. really mention the trade-offs of that right like what are the trade-offs of being fast right clearly you know you can coordinate mm -hmm. like part of the reason you have distributed proof of work is that you can coordinate with actually having to communicate with people and if you want to get people to change what they're doing change the code that they're running like that is a massive massive challenge to coordinate like if eth can coordinate then clearly like they're there's a very different environment and situation going on there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you potentially could change in a negative way. Uh, I'm not sure what your criticism is. So, I mean, what I'm saying is that you're not talking about the trade-offs, right? So the trade-offs, if you can change and can coordinate, mm -hmm. there are trade-offs to doing that. And what are those trade-offs? I think Matt is saying, is pointing out some obvious trade-offs, but mm -hmm. you don't really seem to want to admit them. Well, okay. So this like the... But you can be unstoppable at the same time, right? Because well, because saying like Ethereum can change doesn't necessarily doesn't mean that it is therefore stoppable. 
unless unless you're saying that the d- developer community is going to rally around a EIP that would make Ethereum stoppable, which it's built into the social contract, kind of the same way that Bitcoin's resistance to change res- resistance to change is built into the social contract. So you would have to change the whole community to say that we're now going to be a stoppable blockchain. Like the I mean, I think Go for it. you can you can literally stop it with like a single US law. You, you could, could just not like, do that. That could not hey, happen. You could be like, running Ethereum nodes is illegal. And then it would just be stopped. It would go to the rest of the world. And I would still do it. What are they going to do? Come in. Is you thinking they're going to come into my apartment and turn off my my mining machine too? The the majority of nodes are running on on cloud cloud servers. Do we agree on that? I don't know that. But the, the majority of dApps are running through Infura just by itself. Okay, first off... Uh, DApps don't run through Infura. Infura is like a, an API service to query the, the Ethereum blockchain and to make transactions if you are using their node. But DApps are on-chain. DApps are built into the blockchain. So they don't run through anything except for Ethereum. So in order to shut down a DApp, you have to shut down Ethereum, which is impossible because it's super decentralized because there are these GPU mining rigs that are in like my bathroom and other people's houses. Like it has comparable levels of censorship resistance as Bitcoin does. Realty, my, my company Realty that has tokenized uh, uh, real estate, we use our own node. And and all all of my Ethereum friends use their own node. And so like what Infura is for is for like developers, like Realty would have actually been a great candidate for Infura. Uh, because um, we don't don't have an office, and so we don't have a node to run off of. So we do it from our our developers wherever his node is. But the Infura thing is just total. It's just not. It's not real. Like it's it's, and it plus it allows API services to scale, and so it it, it makes development cheaper for people, which is another goal of Ethereum is to make a development really really cheap. But like saying that if you can cut off Ethereum at the head by shutting down Infura is just incorrect. I, I mean, I, I think that if, well, I said a full ban, right? Like just make it illegal in America, make it illegal in Europe, mm-hmm. you know, make it illegal in like the Western world. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I also, I, I think, it, first of all, in Fuhrer themselves are the numbers I'm going off of. I mean, Circle Research had their own that they were talking about and they had similar numbers in theirs. Um, but you know, if that that's it's a major trade-off. Like running an Ethereum node is extremely resource-heavy compared to running a Bitcoin node. Um, and I think that if you keep if you keep pushing in that direction, then then it becomes more and more stoppable. If we were gonna if we're gonna use that terminology, um, yeah, I, I just, I you know, that's one of the reasons why it's so important that you can run a node through Tor. Uh, because if you can't run it through Tor, then all it takes is a ban in your country, and then you're not ever you're not running a node. You can't like they'll just see they'll just see the node. Um, yeah, I I, I I I just if if the U.S. government if these governments never fight back, then all this doesn't really matter. I just think they will, and I I think when when they do. Um, I think I'll be proven right. That's like basically my thesis. Okay, so so two things. Um, people think that Infura have have like the the Infura's captured more of the nodes of the Ethereum blockchain, and instead of people saying, you know, I'm not going to run my own full node, I'm just going to use Infura's. I think what actually happened is all the people that want to run a full node ran a full node, and then Infura was developed. And then it brought on more people to Ethereum by lowering the cost of development. So Infura added to the total pool of validators by adding their own nodes rather than pulling nodes off of the, the, you know, the rest of the Ethereum community. And then also your other, your other uh, uh, point was that uh, the Ethereum block, blockchain takes more computational load, which is true. And bandwidth. Yes, and also bandwidth, yes. Um, and there's also, but there's also this thing called state rent, which uh, charges people for using the blockchain, uh, for blue, uh, using the blockchain capacity. So if you have megabytes on the blockchain, you got to pay Ether for that. And you, you pay that Ether to the nodes, which might be the hybrid mechanism that, that Ethereum needs that models after Decred, which pays not just validators, but node operators for their bandwidth. 
and with increasing uh, bandwidth capacities of the internet and the trimming and pruning of a blockchain, which is, of the Ethereum blockchain, which is something that's been heavily researched, we're making the Ethereum blockchain lighter and lighter and lighter. With I don't know what the goal is, but maybe the goal is to have something comparable to being able to run into Tor. But I would be speaking outside of my expertise if I said anything about that. I find it interesting to think that when when do people who expect cheap state rent start complaining about state rent getting too expensive? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> These damn nodes, they're rent seeking on us. <laughs> I mean, the other- but but not not from the users, only from people who are who are storing hella data on the blockchain. And it's an incentive to push it off to layer two, anyways. Sorry, isn't that what transaction fees are? No, it's transaction fees would be, transactions would be immune from from the the state rent. We're talking about like uh, contract code, like some some contracts can be really really big, like CryptoKitties would be paying state rent, for example, but not the people using them. How do you get around the civil issue? Because I mean, like, that's why proof of work exists in the first place. Like, if we could all just run nodes and get paid to run nodes, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't need proof of work in the first place. Because there's a finite. You, if you add your node, you don't add money to the pool that's paid out. It's there's a finite amount of money that's paid out, and it's paid out equally across nodes. And so there's this equilibrium of nodes that come onto the network. And if there's too many nodes, people get paid less, so they shut down. But what is if I run like a hundred nodes from like AWS? Like, do I get paid a hundred times the amount? Mm. So that's this cool thing called quadratic slashing. And so if your node goes down, you get slashed, right? Uh, or you don't receive dividends. Um, and so if you if you go down, you get slashed a little bit. But if a lot of people go down all at the same time, they all get slashed proportionally more. And so if, if, if you and one other person go down at the same time, you get slashed like 5% more than if you just had gotten down yourself, but you and uh, like a hundred people go down, you all get slashed because it's quadratic, which means like logarithmic, which means exponential, right? And so if you and a hundred people go down, cause you're all using AWS, you all get slashed hella. And so there's the incentive to not use the same AWS server as everyone else. Isn't that like an attack vector in itself? the by turning people's node off like getting maliciously slashed yeah if you what happens if all these stakers get ddosed and they just get slashed by the protocol well that's that's the incentive to not have your internet being shared with other nodes you can't you can't ddos different ip addresses like when it's a distributed system doesn't like a whole block um share like an ip or something like along those lines i'm sorry you probably you guys probably know better than me but like what happens if like every everyone is staking on the entire block power goes out like do they all get hella punished like and and then they complain what if like what if the power goes out on like a block or something and like every single block is staking yeah if if every but that, think of the the odds of that happening when it where it's a block it's a worldwide validated blockchain and then your 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 neighborhood loses power and then just for that one particular block the random validator set was just like everyone in that neighborhood that's not gonna happen that's like infinitesimally small chance no but didn't we have in New York I mean I was in New York when we had like the whole eastern seaboard went out remember that mm-hmm. there was like one switch went off and then they just all cascaded out. We were like kind of young when that happened. It was uh, five years ago, six years ago or something like that. Like you know a- how long it went out for? It was like a three-day blackout or something like that. Oh, that would suck. All those motherfuckers uh, would get slashed to kingdom come. Uh, Yeah, maybe. So then do we roll back the chain at that point? No. What do we do? Who <laughs> decides? Don't. What is if the majority <laughs> of stakers are in that area? What is if Joe Lubin's <laughs> node goes down? <laughs> I mean, these are just what ifs. I don't know. I don't know. These are the if, questions. If literally everyone got slashed, I would be down for a rollback. See, that's an, I would vote that's yes. an attack vector. No, it's not. No, if the whole community says, yeah, we all just got fucked and we should all unfuck ourselves because it's the it's all of us. Let's ro- issue a rollback. Then there's no, it's not, it's uncontentious. What about the Seattle stakers that didn't go offline? Like, why would they support it? Like you wouldn't well, then it would start to become contentious and then we'll figure it out should be interesting i you know i i i think though this whole slashing stuff just is gonna just creates more problems 
it, you're just you just keep adding complexity to it and it just creates all these more it creates so many more attack vectors so I thought I thought Maker DAO was super complex when I first got into it, and then I realized that oh, this is just a central bank, but on the blockchain. And it turns out it's actually not that complex, especially the more you read about it. And Bitcoin was super complex. We all thought that Bitcoin was this super complex, dumb internet magic money until we realized what the fuck it was. And now it's relatively simple. It's just this this uh, collection of of incentives. And I think as Ethereum, once you wrap your head around what Ethereum is, which is really just decentralized AWS that's really slow and expensive, it's actually not that it's not that crazy. And so all the little features that support it really just are these features that make sense. Like what is Ethereum proof of stake? It's a world global bond market. Like what is um, what is slashing? Well, that's like doing something against the cyber government that is Ethereum that was against the protocol rules like you broke the law like these are just simple rules that like you just have to wrap your head around like this new way of framing these old ideas it's actually not that complex yeah i mean i i think it's it's pretty it's pretty complex comparison to bitcoin it's super complex i mean it's not even we don't even know what it's going to be yet that's how complex it is we know what the specification is do we like, do we think that's going to be the spec that gets implemented? Yes. I, hasn't that changed multiple times already? No. Well, yes, but that's been in the research and development phrase, and then and then it got frozen, and then now that the spec is frozen, the actual uh, code can be written. So we don't know what the code is, but we know what the specification is, and we know that the code is supposed to meet the specification for Ethereum 2.0, and we definitely know what Ethereum 1 is, and even if in, in its current form, Ethereum 1X is fucking awesome. It's doing really cool shit. We have a democratic federal reserve. That's dope. Is it democratic? Yes. How is it democratic? Because you vote with your tokens. Oh, for MakerDAO? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I mean, I, yeah, I, MakerDAO is just like an elaborate way to leverage up ETH right now, I, I feel like. That you is a valid use case, case, though. I will I'll argue that. But that's that, what CDPs I, I, are. The ma- the maker DAO is the governance mechanism that governs over the people that are leveraging up ETH. I want to I want to distinct uh, separate those two things. Right, of course, of course. Uh, but who can isn't isn't make it aren't the maker tokens like extremely centralized and all KYC? Not KYC. Uh, they it's relatively centralized because they just haven't had much time to diffuse. Aren't most of the maker holders like the major maker holders known? Mm, uh, yeah, you, if somebody who has been following the maker story could probably tell you the majority of where the MKR is held by yeah. individuals, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Are there maker mixers? Uh, I mean, there's Ethereum mixers, which you could send maker through. Do you think that these people are mixing their tokens? I no. guess eventually someone. And I don't, I don't, th- these, these, uh, worries about these centralized governments coming in and like arresting people and banning like we don't worry about these things in Ethereum. That's not part of that's not here's part of the, our narrative. Here's the interesting thing though. So um, you know, obviously you can get caught using Bitcoin in a black market, and that history is on the blockchain, especially if you leaked metadata. But Matt mm-hmm. just pointed out how Maker essentially, unless you know Maker coins are getting mixed, like there's a lot of metadata that's already being leaked by the major holders. Mm-hmm. And let's say that the government decides that a democratic central reserve or a federal reserve is not something that they like nor want. And now all of a sudden, there's all this information on the blockchain that can be leveraged to mm-hmm. find and hurt and whatever. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think you should be thinking about it. You really should be. It- well, it would be such an easy problem to fix. You would just send it through a mixer. And then the people like, do you own the MKR token? And be like, I don't own any MKR token. I've never heard of MKR. Well, I'd say I've heard of it, but it's like, yeah, I, I gave them up forever ago or I got hacked. Sorry. Like in maybe in China, that doesn't work, but in the U.S. it will. I mean, it, it takes a lot. Of, it takes it. Is it, Matt, is it easy to get people to mix their coins? <laughs> no, we're working on it, though. We're working on it. Matt is working on getting Bitcoin to mix their coins like on a weekly basis, daily basis almost. Uh, so right. Taint all the coins. I mean, I don't consider it taint. I think it's. It's the, it's the opposite of taint. Like, I think that why would you want to receive 
Like why would a merchant or a person want to receive coins where they know all the history of them? Like that's just adds liability mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Nice reframing. I'm working on it. We got to meme it into reality. With it. <laughs> What's your next meme coming, Matt? There's something privacy related. I'm working on it. it. Do you have a process for memeing or is it just kind of like organic iteration? You just throw everything at the wall. There's so many failed memes that just died. <laughs> they never got off the ground. Yeah, Matt Odell, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I love that this is a platform for uh, us to dispel confusion between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, so I'm happy that we could get you on to uh, challenge David. You do a better job than me most of the time, so happy to have you. Well, you know, I've been I've been listening to you guys debate, so I was I was I came in with uh, some fine tunements. And uh, David, I really appreciate I really appreciate the debate. I know uh, we were supposed to discuss other topics, but uh, I really wanted to have my my time in the fight night. So here we are. Uh, you are absolutely welcome to come back and, and join in fight night round round seven or eight or whatever. Matt, that that was an absolute pleasure, and, and it was definitely fun going uh, sparring with you for sure. Cool. Well, Matt, where can where can people find you? Uh, Who are you going to hear from? at matt under dash odell on twitter and uh our podcast website is tftc.io or you can search tales from the crypt uh in your favorite podcast app awesome and you can find the podcast at pov crypto pod you can find me on twitter at ck underscore snarks david you can find me both on medium and on twitter at trustless state i was talking to hunter my roommate today i was like god i just hope i get rich enough to where i get or i can get successful enough to where i can just shit post on twitter for my job all day i'm working i'm working towards that that's the dream that is that's literally what i said right after that i said that is the dream <laughs> cheers guys do you believe